Hello and welcome to the In My Defense podcast. It is I, your host, Christian, and I've got another guest on this week to geek out on a specific subject of their choice. This time, it is a local musician friend of mine, Jack Shunk. Jack is a musician. Uh, He's got an album out. He's got all this kind of work done very knowledgeable about what he does and this he does not disappoint on this episode folks like i mentioned on the podcast but if i can do an episode where i am doing the least amount of talking possible that is the ultimate goal in my mind it might be like is that a scam it might seem kind of scammy i've got created an entire platform where other people can do the work for me but you know that's the game that's what i want out of this show i want you to be on this show and i want you to do all the talking while i just kind of like enable you and appreciate your geekdom that's what i want to get out of this show and that's what i hope to do for everybody eventually anyways on this episode uh jack wanted to talk about music and we got around to talking a little bit and we get, and we settled on uh the differences between live music and recorded music you know like in a studio or something like that the conversation goes in a couple different ways we cover a couple different subjects when it comes to making music and the experience of performing on stage and performing music on stage but i'm really happy with how this one turned out jack was a terrific guest and i can't wait to have him back on another day anyways folks let's get right into the episode the music you hear over my voice is acid trumpet by kevin mcleod and let's use that to go into the episode My good friend Jack Shunk, and we are going to discuss live music versus recorded music. Say hi to everybody, Jack. Hello, everybody. All right. Uh, so uh, we kind of just did this kind of like last second deciding what this is actually going to be about. But it, why? Why this specific uh, aspect of music? Why? Why do you want to talk about live music versus recorded? Well, I think it's first of all, it's very timely because. The nature of both have really changed in the past 20 years in particular, though really in the past 100 years, um, particularly because recorded music didn't exist until about 100 years ago. Um, so I think it's very timely. And then also, for me personally, this these two media uh, really kind of define um, two of the the two major facets of my own artistry and my own musical journey. I kind of started out very much as a live musician, as a drummer, playing an acoustic instrument. And now my main focus is making records that are entirely digital. So there is this there's this kind of interesting pendulum swing through the past 15 years of my musical existence where um, I've, I've spanned the entire continuum of like digital and artificial from live music heard from from a, a vibrating membrane through the air to your own ears to recorded music, which was like coded into a computer, recorded, digitized, then saved, and then comes back through a speaker, then through the air, then through your ears. So you can see there's there's this big gulf between the two in terms of how they're made, how they're experienced, how they're transmitted, all those things. So Okay. Yeah. Uh, so imagine you're talking to someone 
you're talking to let's let's say i hey i know that i know everything about everything i know exactly what we're talking about here there is absolutely nothing that you're actually teaching me at this moment but let's say i'm an idiot okay uh that i don't know what i'm talking about and that this is all just one big play to pretend that i'm actually a very knowledgeable person what it what do you to you what is the difference between like live music versus recorded music sure um and i think i mean i think that's an interesting question for anyone at any level of knowledge to ask honestly and, and i know this is this is probably a huge question and it's exactly what this whole hour is going to be about but sure. like if uh, but if but but if i'm the type of person who enjoys both has been to concerts listens to music all the time and doesn't under doesn't really understand like oh yeah yeah whatever they do on the stage they just go into a studio and record that uh how am i wrong Sure. Well, I, I would say, first of all, you're not wrong. And then, um, again, yeah, this is a, I mean, this is a question that professional musicians at all levels uh, grapple with. So I think it's a really relevant question for, for really anyone who has any interest in music to ask. Um, first of all, I think it's really cool that you and I are talking about this because our shared interests and how, how we know each other is through improv theater, right? So we already have a shared experience of performing. And it's actually quite analogous to certain experiences of live music. So when we do an improv game in Judson's Monday Night Improv class or at a performance, there are certain constraints that we take on to ourselves in, in, in the sense of the mechanic of the game. And I know you're a, you, you like the mechanics and you're a stickler for mechanics, and so you, you really understand that. So we take on certain mechanics to limit the scope of the improvisation, and then we improvise within those mechanics, um, and then and then on top of those, we have certain ideas about how improvising should be done, certain stylistic ideas. Okay, so that's that's Im- improvised theater. Well, there are certain styles of music, uh, live music in particular, that are very much like that. So I have a, a really strong background as a jazz musician, and the way that a lot of jazz music works is. Um, we pick a tune, we play it through in a very loose fashion, and that tune kind of constitutes the rules of the improvisation. And then there are other like stylistic rules that are a little less explicit, and they, they come into play as well. And then we, we improvise, and then we come back to the tune, and then we're done. Now, um, you also, I know, are really into movies. And so a movie is a little bit different. A live action movie is like, okay, we we prepared everything in advance, but there's still gonna be real people doing this stuff in some sense that's going to be recorded. Okay, so that that's how, that's what I would say is like the most traditional sense of a, of a record, which is like, we have this thing prepared, this performance prepared, and then we're going to record it, right? That's And that's what recorded music originally was. There was, there was a huge thing that looked like a cornucopia that tapered down to a needle that made scratches on wax. And, uh, and many feet away, a group of musicians played or a solo musician played and, and it made, and it recorded the music on the wax. Um, so that's kind of a, a very basic definition of a, of a record. Now, um, at the other extreme, I think it's, I think recorded music is really analogous to an animated movie where everything, almost everything is just totally manufactured and is really completely untethered to any physical reality except for the voice, right? So when you hear an EDM song or, uh, or like a, a lot of hip hop songs, 
there's really there are almost no acoustic instruments being recorded. Everything is just programmed in except for this rapper or singer. So I think if you think of it in terms of a spectrum with um, an animated movie or an you can think of it as animated music. Like we have we have records that are just totally digital um, and they really only exist. Uh, in the recorded form and then on the other side we have this ephemeral performance like an improv skit which you know there there might not be anybody with the camera there right and it happens once and then after that it only exists in people's memories and it's done right so we have this this intersection between and then of course you could if you wanted to you could take a camera and record an improvised theater skit like the ones we do and then you know that would be that would be a sort of movie right but that kind of movie is very very different than the kind of movies we watch in movie theaters so um there's kind of how much you use the camera and how much you use what the medium offers you really varies right so okay. does that analogy make kind of make light of the situation uh if if i can try to sum it up i would say it's it's your each one is providing different effects to you right like uh, you if you if you go watch live music or you see or you watch a live performance you're get, getting something out of it that's different than you might have necessarily gotten from listening to a uh, professionally produced recording of of a performance uh, so it's not even so much it might not even be so much like with jazz it's one thing maybe jazz might be the closest thing to improv just because jazz is very much something that thrives off of improvised off of, off of improvised performances and 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 teamwork with between different musicians whereas other other genres of music might go into more like a th- be uh, compared to like theater performances where it's all scripted and everybody knows what they're doing absolutely but but you know it's all but it's all basically you know one take one shot you know uh rehearsing like crazy and getting it down so that so that you 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 know the music as well as possible yeah that would be like classical music yeah and then so you're getting and and i guess where you're coming at what you're coming at is what you're trying to get across is that you're getting different uh reactions out of the audience is getting different reactions out of out of the performances as opposed to the other so uh so my question with that like am i am i Am I am I right in assuming that you're talking about getting different reactions out of people from the different types of performances? I think I wasn't thinking too much about the reactions themselves, just more about the ways in which these things are made. So like, we can have we can have something that's um, that's really just. I mean, I mean, a, a record is really just a permanent version of some kind of performance. But then we have these special kind of records which correspond to animated movies. Which, which are more just totally manufactured performances that, that are kind of illusions, right? Um, so, so, so yeah, I, would, I wasn't, I mean, as far as the reaction that the audience gets, what's interesting to me is that it could actually be very similar. Like, you could, you know, when, when, a, when a large group of people is listening to a DJ play, there could be moments when they're feeling the same way or a very similar way that they would be if, if they heard someone playing that song or a similar song live, like the same kind of energy, the same kind of uh, enthusiasm. Um, and, you know, we can talk about like how the experience might differ or should differ or like, you know, what what is an authentic performance. But um, I, I would say what's interesting is that the, the experience can be very similar but, but through throughout this entire spectrum. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, this is probably more of a spectrum than it is actually just saying live versus pre-recorded because... 
uh, because the, uh, there definitely are, uh, there definitely is music out there where it is totally manufactured, right? You get, you get, you get, you take the specific things that you're looking for, you cut out everything you don't like, and then you just stay, and then you just tape it together and you, and you create the track that you want to. And that's what we get mostly out of like the conveyor belt, the holes, the stream of music that is constantly hitting us every day on the radio, where it is, it's a formula that people have been following for decades now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where people can literally see, oh yeah, if you, if you play this certain sequence of notes, you'll get a certain reaction out of people, you'll get the emotional context, they get addicted to the music in a certain way, which is basically all of like pop music ever. And and you and and and, it, and it's done by just being like recording a few seconds at a time, taking the bits that you like and putting and putting them together. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, someone could just record a live performance and put that out. And then also someone can just go see a live performance and get a whole new experience out of that as well. Yeah. Um, so when it comes when it comes to your perspective on uh, providing these performances, how do how do they how do they compare? How does it compare like sitting in a studio and 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 getting getting your music out as opposed to performing in front of a group of people? Well, I think it's a it's a really like it's a really different experience because one I mean one thing that's really cool about performing in front of a group of people is you have this it really is kind of a two-way thing even though the audience is participating way less you know and at least at least in like a western concert context the audience is performing way less now if, if it's like carnival in Brazil then it's kind of like everyone is participating right or in Cuba um, so but but in like a concert context the audience is participating less than the performers are certainly but there's there's still very much a two-way thing and and you can really kind of feed off the audience's reactions to you even if it's just their eye contact and that can be really cool and you know what you know what performing is like but um if you're if you're sitting at home making records especially on a computer um there's less of that two-way thing with two-way interaction with your audience and it can be pretty dismal sometimes once you release your record to not have that you know if you're unpopular which i am an unpopular artist you put your music out and almost no one listens to it and it's like it feels like this weird this weird like kind of drop-off moment where it's just the thing is done and it's out in the world and and it really um you, you really it's, it's kind of not yours anymore and 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 you know no one might listen to it and so that can be a bit of a downer if you're not prepared for it but live music so long as there's really just one person listening it can always be this incredibly like um kind of dignified thing but i would say the benefit of like sitting at home by yourself making a record is that you can always do it whenever you want and you can do it by yourself like i said or with other people and so you can always delight in the process in that sense whereas live music like if you want to perform live um you need to have a venue and and an audience now you can always of course play music by yourself but i would say like making for me making a record by myself is a lot more fun than playing music by myself and i mean that's just that's just me but so there are these different kind of artistic experiences involved in the two and and they're both they're both great the other thing i would want to say is that a performance can be more of like a big build up to this one thing that can be glorious 
Whereas um, making a record is more of a slow burn, where like the whole thing is is kind of this fun for me, like fun, sometimes frustrating, but fun creative process, and then eventually you you reach the top and you're done. Um, whereas performance is like a lot of rehearsal, like you were saying, a lot of preparation, or at least I like it when it is, and then and then there's this one pretty short moment that could last a few minutes or just a, few, a couple hours. And then and then it's done. So it's it's a it's a very different um, energy contour, I would say, of the of the experiences. One is like a lot of prep for this one moment, like a like a heist or something, and the other one is like much more of a gradual kind of creative uh, outlet, I guess. Okay. And there's like uh, I'm just with doing like a quick little uh, read up online. There's there's plenty of contention between like these two subjects about whether or not. Uh, someone might have a preference to live versus like pre-recorded stuff, mm-hmm. um, and then you said that you might actually prefer like uh, record, record recording at them as opposed to the whole lead up and the event of performing it live, which I which I probably can relate to. Like uh, anytime I've ever had to act, like my least favorite part about doing any kind of a theater show is the rehearsals because it always feels like homework leading up to it, mm-hmm. and I just kind and I just kind of want to get to the show, but. Um, there's an interesting thing about music that I think is like one of the main things that separates it from doing like something like comedy is and even like acting because a comedian can rehearse their set over and over and over again, but they they can never they can never get caught repeating that joke after someone sees it the first time. There's plenty of comedians out there that once once they're once they're once they put out their album or once they put out like a TV special, they can never do those jokes ever again. They decide. Um, yeah, because like and music, music doesn't really have that, right? Because if you if you come out with a really good song, people want to hear it over and over again. People will call out that song and request it for for decades, decades, depending on the artist, um, which is kind of like a really funny thing. One of the biggest, which is which is probably shows you how like how music hits different than some other aspects of performing. I mean, I think uh, just to interject, I mean, I think that could be a cultural thing too because I've listened to like Jim Gaffigan's King Baby, which is a it's a comedy album. I listened to that over and over and over and over again with my dad, and it, you know, if we just had the chance to pay some money and hear Jim Gaffigan do King Baby live, I think we would both go, me and my dad. So that could be something to do with just the culture of stand up and of and of being original, and. Um, I mean, it is interesting too. A lot of pop musicians, even the very famous, successful ones, will sometimes complain about having to hit, to play those hits over and over. <laughs> Again, I've never experienced that frustration of having to play the same thing over and over. So, I'm not. I'm a little bit agnostic about that. But it, that's it's interesting. Yeah, it's one of those grass is greener situations, right? Like the other side always has it better. Yeah. So, uh, do you have any preferences when it comes to like, uh, like any any specific artists or bands or where? their live stuff versus their recorded stuff yeah that's that's a great question i mean i think i think see like i mentioned earlier we're kind of at a transition point with these two media right recorded music and live music and i think for a long time you went to the shows of of artists whose records you like and some people people would come away differently from those shows some people would come away thinking you know why didn't they play it like it was on the record some people would come away thinking man it was so much better on the record you know they could barely sing in tune and then some people would be like wow it was completely different it was great right so so that that was kind of how it worked but now we're in a different position for a couple reasons first of all 
the like I said, a lot of the music we're listening to is is animated in a certain sense. So playing it on stage requires a huge amount of adaptation or just straight up like fakery. Kind of like kind of like adapting the Lion King to the stage, right? It's a completely different thing. They do a good job, but it's different. So so just just going to the concerts of the artists you like, especially in the electronic or hip hop realms, might not might not get you like you might not end up seeing a great performance. So what I always do is I always just look up a video on YouTube, preferably just a cell phone video of the artists I want to go see and just just see how how it translates because I know the sound isn't going to be that great. And so what I want to see is like, are they playing with a lot of energy and, and taking risks? And so just to give you an example, like I love Frank Ocean's records. He's one of my favorite all-time artists. But these days when he plays live, which is seldom, he just sings along with backing tracks or plays a little bit of keyboard. And for me, I love to hear bands. Or, or some group of musicians performing in some sense. And uh, so so even though I love Frank's records, I might not be so stoked on the live performances. Whereas like, I'm not, I'm not super excited about jazz music as much anymore, but I still think seeing jazz alive can be an amazing, an amazing experience, even though a lot of that music I wouldn't choose to listen to, you know, after lunch, like I was a few minutes ago. So I, I, I try to like, I try to kind of separate it and kind of give the artist the benefit of the doubt and let, let them just make records if they just make records. But then also, if I'm going to pay to see them live, I want to make sure it'll be good. So I look them up. I mean, so the genre does matter, right? Because, like, I, I think that I, jazz, I don't imagine you can have jazz without without actual instruments or at least something that can really uh, replicate the sound of real live instruments. Whereas, like, there's... Uh, hip-hop, R&B, pop music, those are all things that can be done without necessarily having a real person with, a, with, with, with some kind of instrument in their hand to actually make the music for. Mm-hmm. So, cl- so clearly there clearly does seem to be an advantage to actually being able to play, mu- play music whenever you're doing live stuff. Absolutely, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's why I consider myself kind of lucky in the end, in, because I have a background in live music, but then now I'm into recorded music, and so I think once once I get a chance to play this stuff out, once 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 the world is back to normal, <laughs> uh, I think I'll be able to deliver a really cool live electronic music experience that's different than DJing and different than what some some other people have done. But you're absolutely right because if you, yeah, a jazz record is really kind of. It's kind of just um, a multi-camera video of an improv skit. That, that's really what it is, you know, a nice jazz record. And so if you, can't, if you can't improvise, you know, when people go to see you after seeing that, that skit, they're gonna be very disappointed. Um, or after seeing that video, right? They're gonna be very disappointed. But uh, yeah, pop, like you said, it's, it's really different. So I think um, I, might, I might just go to, a, a, go to see a jazz artist on the strength of their released record, but a pop artist, I, I would never, I would, I would look up a concert of theirs and, and see if, if they can bring it live. Yeah, which makes sense because you'll never. Uh, I think people go to concerts not necessarily not necessarily to just hear the music that they could have listened to at home. Mm-hmm. They 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 want to see a performance. They want to see they want to see dancers. They want to see performers. They want to see uh, lights and and all kinds of new sounds. Things that you won't get seeing something uh, sitting at things you won't get sitting at home with your headphones on or with or playing on the radio. Yeah. Um, 
so when I mean one thought I had about what you just said is that for for me and I think for many people actually and I mean one of my biggest someone whose whose records and live performances I love I love both is Dave Matthews Band and he that band kind of more than anyone inspired me to pursue music as my career but they um their audience really appreciates the kind of improvisational element that they bring to their live performances. Their pop, their records are pretty tight pop records, actually, but they do a really amazing job of like keeping the melodies and a lot of the key parts of the music the same for the performance. But then they'll like, go into these long jams and do really interesting stuff, and then like do interpolations of classic rock covers and all sorts of stuff. So I think also like you mentioned all the bites and dancers and all that. That, that stuff definitely has a place and it can be very cool. But then there's also a place, I think, for some some musical variation in live performance that, that um, there's that, yeah, there's something about it that just is, is, is very cool and it's hard to replicate. And it, to me, there's a logical, there's a bit of a paradox here because, and a violinist pointed this out to me once. He was like, you know, if you go to see Dave Matthews Band at a huge amphitheater, um, you're not hearing any of the acoustic sound. Everything you're hearing is coming through the mics, through the speakers, and then to you. So it's, is it really that different than just hearing a record of them through those speakers in, in a huge amphitheater? And I mean, I think he he has a point. Like there's, there's tremendous logic to that, but I think there's also a sense of like this, what they're doing is only happening once. And then you can also see it happen with a one-to-one correspondence with what you're hearing. So, and, I, and I, for me, that's been incredibly powerful. Some of the most powerful moments of my life have happened in the context of live performances and at, and at Dave Matthews shows. Yeah, that violinist doesn't really sound like he's coming from a fair point just because, yeah, classical music has these big booming sounds that can fill an amphitheater and you're dealing with an audience that is much more, uh, much less, I'm not, maybe, I'm not gonna say less enthusiastic, but much more um, contained. Yeah. Yeah, much more reserved than than any other audience might actually be. Uh, no, no one's singing along to, you know, Beethoven, mm-hmm. <laughs> unless they're really annoying. Uh, so yeah, there's a whole different experience. So, but like, so I think we've seen like the benefits. Well, we've seen the positives, the pluses to, you know, seeing stuff live. What about for recorded stuff? Like, uh, you you talked you talk about how you almost like preferred. Is there any kind of like intimacy involved when it comes to like listening to a record uh, over the uh, uh, at home? I mean, I th- I think one well, as far as a listener, um, I think absolutely there's there's a real intimacy and it can be, I mean it can especially these days it can go anywhere, yeah you, know, you can you can really easily I mean I think you can do this if if you're really kind of in touch with yourself but without music but with music you can really easily transform even even the most everyday of moments, even the most ordinary of moments, like riding the metro or something. I was listening, I was looking at my iTunes um, thing, my iTunes like play stats, and uh, I had listened to the Ponyo, the Ponyo soundtrack like 35 times, the entire thing, because I used to have this super long commute. And I just think, so that's one huge advantage of um, recorded music is you can, you can take it anywhere and it can, it can just, kind of saturate your life in this nice way but then as far as like a more more kind of comparative experience like going hearing Dave Matthews's records versus hearing um going to the show I think uh I mean one 
one one advantage that the record the recorded experience have, or the experience of listening to the recorded music has, is that you can really hear everything super clearly, because because the um, the mixing and the production gives you that opportunity, so you can really hear it clearly, and then also you can hear it over and over again. And just like um, just like how a work of literature might have these layers of meaning, or, or like a great film might have layers of meaning that might not come out all at once on the first listen, I think a piece of music canon as well. And if you have a lot of chances to listen to music, you can start to unravel these little mysteries that can make it even more meaningful. So I think that's one of the advantage. And I think that relates to what you said about intimacy, which is to say that you can really kind of achieve an intimate relationship with this particular record, which I think is very special. Okay. So on that note, when it comes to the effect that music might have on folks, and since you're a musician, you might be able to talk about this. I think we even uh, discussed it as a possibility for this episode, but music theory. Mm-hmm. Now, music theory is one of those things that I, I, I love talking about it with every musician I know because it's one of those things where I get it, but I don't get it, and it confounds my brain every single time someone really gets into discussion about music theory and maybe we can talk about it in this context where it comes to when it comes when it comes to uh perform performing live and and pre-recording stuff um can well let's let's hear from the musician first like what to you i I, because i couldn't define music theory how would you define music theory man i mean it's hard it's hard for me to define music theory and i i have a vague memory of like being in a music theory class and, and hearing a definition and it was just so kind of vague and and uh kind of inconsequential because uh, you, you hear it and it sounds like a science but it and, it and it kind of is it's like yeah if you play a certain sequence of notes you know in a certain way you'll get you elicit certain reactions out of people and and you and you can prescribe tones and feelings through music but ow <laughs> So I would say, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't even give it that much credit to call it a science, frankly, because it, it's just really, it's not, it's not like a bunch of people, it's not like they got a bunch of people in labs and then played certain notes for them and then, you know, measured their heart rate or, or neural activity or something. It's not nearly that scientific. It's more, it's, it's like a bunch of stuff. So here's, here's what happened with music theory that's, that might help to... Music theory is really just a set of ideas about how music works or how it should work and rules to follow those those ideas. That's that's really what it is. So you can imagine it can be utterly useless or quite useful depending on the degree to which those rules actually apply to what you're doing and the degree to which you understand them and understand their limitations. Um, kind of kind of like with improv, like generally, generally you wouldn't want to negate someone, but if we're playing a game like Objection, where that's kind of like the whole game, well, then it doesn't apply, so. Yeah, I imagine, yeah, it's the kind of thing where, um, you you have you have these certain you have these certain guidelines of rules to follow when you're making a thing, but then the people who really get good at it, the, the experts, the professionals, are the ones who know when to break those rules. Yeah, and then I would say like a, a rule like don't negate an improv is is like pretty like that's a really good rule. I would most of the mu- most most of the rules and ideas and music theory that I came in touch with were not nearly as useful as that or or kind of as universal. So music theory really came about um kind of in the in the mid 20th century there were these guys in universities 
who were like, we need to treat music as a science and it should get the same kind of treatment and funding in universities as, as the sciences do. People like um, Milton Babbitt, for example, who, who were making this crazy serial music and people before that as well. But they, they went back um, and like analyzed a bunch of classical composers and analyzed a bunch of, um, yeah, just a bunch of classical composers, European stuff, and then just, just looked for patterns, basically. And they came up with certain rules. And so you end up with these rules like, oh, you know, Bach used the melodic minor scale, and so it's like when we when we go up, we raise this tone, and when we come back down, we, we lower that tone um, because Bach did this a certain amount of the time, and that's that's what sounds good. But it's, it's really, uh, it really just comes down to analysis of certain music and I mean I think um, there are some things like like the sound like 5-1 sounds really satisfying to people and that that's you know just think of the end of a sym- symphony bum 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 uh, you know yeah that's... when you say 5-1 you're talking about like the time of the music right like where most people are familiar with 4-4 four, four. no so 5 I was talking about the, the harmony like bum 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 like that's the one bum mm-hmm. um, so when we get that back there it feels like home in a certain context but then in other contexts they're not even using the same notes like in the Middle East they have different scales that are in between ours you know so I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to just say that music theory isn't, it, it only works within a certain context, just like, um, just like Newtonian physics only works within a certain context, right? Like as, as, as the speed of an object approaches the speed of light, the normal, the normal like laws of physics that we rely on, that, that we witness in everyday life, start to break down. And it's the same thing, like, like major scales and uh, regular times and 4-4 and time and all of that stuff, that works really well if you're talking about a Western music context. But then as soon as you start looking at um, Hindustani classical music from Northern India, for example, all of that stuff kind of goes out the window because they're dealing with a different rhythm system, they're dealing with a different harmonic system, a different method of making the music that, that is more improvisational, different instruments that, that play with different scales and different intonations, meaning a different set of pitches. So I think um, just, just like any set of rules, it, it's, it's kind of limited to a certain context. I mean, now it can be incredibly useful because if you're listening to pop music and you know that 90% of the music you hear is all in one, um, is all in a given key, not necessarily the same key, but within the song it's in a given key. That really helps you because you just you just eliminated five notes, you know, and now you don't have to worry about five notes if you're going to try to make music like that. So that was a super protracted answer, but basically. Hey man, that's what this is all here for. I'm here to watch watch people geek out. I I. I think the smartest thing I ever did was come up with a podcast where I have, I don't have to do most of the talking. Nice, nice. I, th- I think if you take all the episodes I've recorded so far and, and combine all my time in all the episodes, it makes one episode. Gotcha. What's uh, it's fun to, to nerd out. Yeah, exactly. That's what this is all for. Uh, so, when it, so I imagine... So music theory is just it's storytelling, right? It's taking there are like whenever someone when, as as whenever you're writing a script, writing a writing a play, writing something, uh, there are certain rules that you follow when it comes to, uh, you know, 
following plot lines. Whenever we, whenever you and me do improv, have done improv scenes together, you know, we try to remind people, you know, follow the basics of storytelling. You know, you have, you have the, you have the beginning, you have a rising action leading up to a climax and the resolution from there on, and music kind of works in that same way. But we're not, even though we're not necessarily following a narrative, at least not in the traditional sense of the word. So there are certain things that people, depending on what culture you're in, are comfortable with when it comes to music. Mm-hmm. And so, and so that's and that's what music theory does. It provides a rule. It provides these guidelines for people to follow. Like, all right, if you want something that sounds nice, at least for the people you're writing for, depending on your audience, this is where that goes. Yeah, this, this is where you put those certain notes. But I and should then, I, I should qualify that real quick. That music theory isn't a isn't a like a a flexible diplomatic idea. Music theory, as it is understood and taught. In institutions is how to make classical European music sound good. I I don't know if there's a, a music theory of hip hop, for example, but it, if there were, it would certainly contradict a lot of Western classical music theory, as, as it should, or else you know hip hop wouldn't sound so good. Um, I'll have to ask like a Shea Serrano, like the writer that's written so much about hip hop, uh, and hip hop is one of my favorite genres of music. So like. Uh, it's it's a really interesting thing to think about, and um, when it comes to following those kind of rules, I think it's even written within the rules. Or like the way you get that endorphin rush, the way that you really get people to really fall in love with whatever you're writing is that moment where you break the rules, right? You follow a pattern, you, and then you have you, and then our brains. The studies have been done about this, where our brains will will pick up on a pattern that in a piece of music that we hear, and we'll follow, we'll enjoy it, and then once that pattern is broken, that's when the endorphins get released in our brains, and that's when like, oh my god, I can't believe they just did that. Wow, that's. I mean, I actually did not know that that was that was the moment, but I mean, that totally makes sense when you think about EDM, when you think about you know building up to a drop, like. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> Yeah, it's giving it's giving your audience enough time to pick up on a pattern, and then once once you've got them hooked, go in a totally different direction. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I try to do when I make pop music. Um, I wouldn't say that that ideas that sophisticated are written into music theory. It's it's much more kind of kind of pedantic and oh yeah this totally goes aside. this totally goes into the whole formula that we see in pop music, where this is how you get on the radio is by getting people getting people to you're you're in you're inciting a chemical rush in people's brains using music that's exactly like the kind of formula that you will see in and mu- stuff that you hear on the radio yeah and i mean that's what any music popular or not or i mean really any experience does it it makes chemicals in your brain move i think um i think some some people are really trying to trying to get us get a reaction out of their audience whereas others are trying to make music that they would like if they heard it and then others are, are doing a combination of those things and I've I've done both of those things as well because I've I've done some film composing so there I'm trying to interpret the film musically the way I think it should be interpreted and make music that I think is interesting and serves the film but then also the director has a vision so that I I want to please myself but also the director because they're ultimately kind of my boss and they have the vision so um, I don't think uh, I don't think it's necessarily bad to, to want to write for an audience 
but um I, I well, how do you how do you approach the situation like whenever you have a new piece of music that you want to get out there how do you go about it is it just like writing something to perform live to get back to the subject of this episode or is it like first trying to put a track together and sending that out first so i haven't i haven't performed my electronic music live yet for the past few years it's just been a studio project because it's been such an such an adventure just getting it to sound halfway decent so that that part I haven't done. I've just dabbled in it and configuring it. The stuff I've performed live has been more jazz music. That's where most of my performance experience comes in. So for the electronic stuff, I'm definitely making the records first, and then I'm going to perform those records because I really believe in the power of a composition and in having having something kind of solid written, at least written, not necessarily recorded, but at least written before you go to the performance. Because one thing I always struggled with with jazz was the improvisation and how sometimes things would happen that I just didn't like. And it's like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. But if I come make a composition of some sort, whether it's a song or, or a, an electronic track, then I can decide what I want and then execute it in performance. When when you do something, when you're performing jazz and you actually do something amazing, uh, do you ever feel like, oh shit, I should have fucking hoped somebody was recording that. I need to get, you know what I just did. How do we get that magic back? Yeah, I mean, I think... I... I mean, ideally, if well, first of all, if you do if you do something amazing when you're performing music, it usually happens because you're really kind of lost in the moment. And so the attitude you described of "I hope someone's recording it" means you're then out of that moment. And of course, that can happen in a flash when you're just totally in the zone. You do something cool, then your ego steps in and crashes the party. But I I try not to think that way, and I think uh, I think one thing. As you get, as I've gotten more experienced as a performer and as a jazz musician in particular, your the level of your performance doesn't fluctuate as dramatically as it seems to. So, like I have, I have recordings where I felt like I was playing some of my best stuff, and I have recordings where I felt like really, really off. And and there, the difference is not dramatic because I'm resting so heavily on on good habits I've I've created over the past 15 years of practicing music. So I think uh, I, I try not to let that voice step in at all when I'm performing. I mean, it, it, it inevitably does, but I don't find myself thinking in those terms. I think I find myself thinking just more like, oh, that was awesome, or oh, that wasn't good. Just, just more of a generic judgment, less, less a wish for, for permanence. I mean, is there an attitude when it comes to performing live where... If, if you're doing it live and you're just improvising performance where whatever happens, happens, and you just move on from then on, from th- from there, uh, you know, like, like if if I'm doing a play or if I'm doing an improv show or I'm, or I'm doing, you know, like once the, perform- once the performance is done, it's done. I never have to think about it ever again. Is that is that how it can be with, like, performing a jazz performance? I mean, I think I, I applaud you for having that attitude, and I think that's definitely the attitude I try to cultivate. Um, but I think it can be easy if, if you make a mistake or if you don't play as well as you'd like to, to, to beat yourself up about it, which I have done many times. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. Uh, it, <laughs> the, the bad performances stick with me much more than, uh, much, much more than anything else. I am still very much a, uh, a, a self-hating uh, artist. 
that that applies in every degree whatsoever. Everything I do is the worst it's ever been, and I will never get better. That's that's my okay. attitude. Okay. That's that's my attitude. So yeah, uh, if if there's someone out there who puts out a performance and is totally proud of it, 100%. Congratulations, you found a sociopath. Yeah, I mean, I I think it is. I mean, there are moments when there's this musician Kenny Barron who called it striking a groove. There are moments when you just feel like you can play no wrong. And it's, and that's happened to me a couple times, and it's awesome. Uh, and it, it, it feels like you're really just floating and, and you're kind of not doing anything. And that's, that's great. And then, then there are most of the other times, it's pretty, it's enjoyable, but it's not quite that, not quite that stark, starkly different from regular life. And there are other times when it's, can be even unpleasant for whatever reason, whatever combination of emotional reasons or because the music isn't happening. So, but you know, to your earlier question, I think, yeah, ideally we should be able to just let it go if it wasn't recorded and move on. But people don't always let you off the hook for it, and you don't always let yourself off the hook for it as the performer. I, I will say you're probably coming at it from a very more advantageous place because if I try to get away with a joke on stage and it doesn't work, then <laughs> then I'm greeted with silence mm-hmm. and, and no reaction whatsoever, which is kind of the worst thing, right? I think you don't get that until the end of a song work because even if you mess up or something doesn't work out in a song that, that you're doing – you won't really know how people feel about it until the very end. You have you have some time to like make up for any mistakes. I, when you're whenever whenever you're performing and you have to do like some kind of dialogue, whether it's a, whether it's like a joke that's pre-written, right, and then you're just trying to get it, you're just trying to get the timing across, right, or if it's something that you made up on the spot, it's immediate. Which is one of the things I love about live performance comedy is immediate. Uh, gratification as to what you're doing you you immediately know how you feel about how people feel about you during your performance and but at least when you're doing music you have until the end of that particular song and if it's jazz we're just going to play forever guys we're just going to ignore what we just did everybody get ready this track is going to go this track is going to go 15 minutes yeah i mean it really one one thing when you're when you're a young musician one thing people will tell you often so, I mean, there's a few things, but one thing people will often tell you is the audience is not even going to notice if you make a mistake. And that a lot of the time is 100% true, especially just one mistake, because there's so much going on in music and people, even a very attentive person at many points throughout the performance of even just one song, their mind will wander to other things, whether it be your appearance on stage or something they ate that day. So the, the odds of them really noticing that mistake are low. And then the odds of them noticing that mistake and then judging you for it are really low. So, I, and I think that is different. That's, that's something that's really different about theater or about improv because what you're doing when you improvise or when you act is, is supposed to be very similar to what you did in real life or it's supposed to have a real a really close connection with real life so people kind of can tell when it's inauthentic they know what a funny joke is whereas with music we're doing something that even even if you've only been playing for a couple years you're already doing something that's very esoteric to people who have not played and and hard to understand for people who who don't do it so i think we're we're really insulated by by just how how kind of weird music is when you think about it is this it's this hyper abstract collection of sounds what you know it's, 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 i mean it's one of those things where some people believe that it was our first form of communication was just getting some sticks and bones and banging them against each other yeah i don't 
I mean, I, I know nothing about the anthropology of, of language or, or music, to be honest. Or, like, I don't know early music history. But there's definitely um, evidence for very early instruments, like... Yeah, it, it, is, it goes into... It's reaching into a different part of our brains than we get in otherwise, right? Because I think everyone has some kind of appreciation for music. Uh, if someone, I've met people that say they don't like music and don't listen to music and that immediately changes my views on that person. I don't know how to feel about this person who just doesn't like this thing that is kind of, um, it's, I, I don't, it's fundamental to life in a certain way. I would I, say, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how, uh, how, how that tracks, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's anyone who, can listen to music and not feel something. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think even even just the pervasiveness of music in films, I think is kind of evidence that everyone understands music on some level, right? Because if if music was something that just really only a certain subset of the population enjoyed, then it wouldn't be in almost every film. So whereas, whereas you contrast that with like, let's say, uh, you know, action, like violence. There are some films that have no violence. And, and there are some people that don't like violence in films. They're pretty rare, but there are definitely those people. And so that's, there's some variation in that. But with both both violent films and romantic comedies <laughs> have, have music. And so I, I, I really do think it is just, I think it is pretty pretty universal or something close to it. I mean, and I mean, I think some people, when they say they don't like music, they just mean, they're, they're dramatically less enthusiastic about it than most people are, which which is, is fine. But yeah, it is it is kind of odd to imagine like, okay, if you were on a desert island and you had nothing for entertainment, you would rather have no music ever than some music occasionally, you know? So, I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's better to have mostly music and then no music occasion because I, I just looked it up right now uh, no Country for Old Men actually has no musical score. I, mean, in I was it. thinking that, and I've seen that movie. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, and it's, uh, I don't know. It's probably not an enjoyable. It's a good movie. Yeah, classic. It's going down as a classic. Definitely, maybe not, maybe maybe not be enjoyable. <laughs> I mean, I mean that movie. I can see why why they don't have music in that. I mean, I was thinking about that. Like, I was thinking like every every movie has music except No Country for Old Men, you know. And I I watched that movie because it didn't have music because at the time I was really into writing music for film. And I mean that movie is really examining that's that movie examines this truly hellish part of humanity. Right. And so I think it almost it's that's like the part of humanity that music doesn't touch. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, you could tell it's an active choice because that music has because that film has no music. It is the lack of music that is eliciting an emotion out of people because it feels like something is missing. It feels like this experience that we're all sharing together is lacking to some degree and it feels less human. Yeah. And it's, and it's fatiguing and there's, there's no sense of heroicism and you're not supposed to know how you feel about the situation because there's no music that's actually telling you. Exactly. And that's often what music does. Makes it obvious how you're supposed to feel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, see, as we're coming into probably near the end of all this, is there any kind of like, uh, final thoughts that you want to get out about about music in general and then but first of all what are are there are there any like 
um, final thoughts that you have on, on music in general and like the art of making music and doing it for a studio or doing it for, for live in front of an audience? I think, I mean, one thing to really keep in mind is that they're different, they're different art forms. So just like, just like some actors can't do play acting, whereas some play actors can't do film acting. It's just like that. People often don't translate well between the two. So I think just, just be aware of that level of nuance and then accommodate for that in, in your decision making, you know? So that's, I think that's one really important point. And, and then related to that is that these, these two, these kinds of music are made in different ways. And just like animation takes incredible skill and acting also takes incredible skill. I think production takes incredible skill and there's opportunity for self-expression and the same is true for live performance. So I, I think there's, there, there are kind of more similarities and there's more to be understood about how these two things are different, whereas often they're kind of placed into the same tent and then they fight. Yeah, I think this episode is going to be a good show as to what I want this entire podcast to be, is that it's meant for it's this is a show meant for people who are not geeks at all, really. Like if if you are a geek and I and I touch on a subject that you really love and admire, awesome. I'm glad you're here. But if you're someone who doesn't really identify or doesn't really feel like they have any one thing that they're really into, here's a bunch of stuff that I'm talking about that I'm bringing other people to talk about that you can think about in a more nuanced context and things that you might not have necessarily thought that uh, was special in the first place, things that we take for granted. And I think the idea of how music might actually be affecting you, whether it's in a live setting or sitting at home listening to it on your, uh, I almost said iPod, but that's a 20-year-old piece of technology, Uh, (laughs) listening to it on your phone is is something that I think people take for granted a lot of the time. And I'm really glad you were here to talk about it with me, Jack. Uh, if there is any place that people can follow you on social media, or if there's anyone that wants to listen to your music, is there any place that they can find you at find you online on the internet? Yes. So I'm not on any social media, but I have good for you, man. Good for you. Thank you. I have my music on Spotify, Apple music, title, YouTube. And if you just search Jack Sage, J A C K space S A G E. And then my latest EP is, uh, let's see, is it how to, it's how to save a drowning bee. So (laughs) the the title track is called the drowning bee. And I was like, wait, is that the name of the EP or the title track? No, that's so it's how to save a drowning bee. It's my latest EP. I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes for the episode. I'm making notes of everything right now. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for being here, man. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed talking to you. And thanks. Thank you, Christian. This was a lot of fun. And that's the episode, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much to Jack for coming on to the show and talking music with me. Uh, links to Jack's music will be in the show notes if you guys want to check that out I highly recommend it Jack is terrific once again the music you heard at the opening and here in the closing is Acid Trumpet by Kevin McLeod, uh done under the Creative Commons license if you have any feedback about the show feel free to reach out to us at inmydefensepodcast at gmail.com if you like what you hear give us a five star rating and a review on itunes or whatever podcatcher you happen to be using my name is christian rivero folks you can find me on twitter and instagram at anti chris rivero and i will see you next week